again, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Nate. I get the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at our Liberty Hill location. I'm so glad that you're here today. That after party, by the way, you just saw in the video, that's happening tonight for our students, not to be confused with next week's that Andrew told you about at Main Street for all of us. But if you're a 6th to 12th grader, tonight's the night. You can check out our student table on your way out and get more information about that. Uh, today, also, as he mentioned, my wife and I will be in the guest suite at the end of service. If you're new, we'd love to meet you and get you one of those gifts. By the way, how many of you have a hard time getting your phone to work in this building? Okay, it's all of us, I know, we're in this together. Um, there is a Wi-Fi network available. I think we have the slide for you this week. There you go. So if you want to connect to Wi-Fi, and we're working on a more permanent solution for this, but you can connect through that network ID and with that password, they'll leave that up there for just a minute. I have good news and bad news for you about that. The bad news is your social media doesn't work, which is actually good news for me. Uh, that's not going to work for you, but the church app will, and you can take your notes right there like you normally do. Well, we're in the, in the middle of a series called Faith in Motion where we're working through the book of James and trying to learn what we can from this New Testament book of wisdom and apply it to our lives. If this is your first time with us or maybe you missed a few weeks, I'll just walk you through a little bit of what you might have missed. And, of course, you can always catch up on our podcast every week. But in week one, we talked about life in motion. We talked about how to apply principles of faith to everything that we do. In our second week, we talked about love in motion. And one of the things that we talked about is that love is obedient. And we also talked about love being active. Love is something not just that you feel, something that you do. And last week we talked about words in motion and the power of the tongue and how we can and should, as followers of Jesus, use our words to bring forth his kingdom, to build people up, right, to make the truth plain for people. We talked a lot about that last week. Again, if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And today, we're going to be moving in to an all-new topic about wisdom. And I think the big idea of the book of James is this, that a genuine relationship with Jesus, a genuine relationship with Jesus will always produce or result in a life of action. In fact, I think a genuine relationship with Jesus will produce in you something that will last. As we follow the teachings of the Bible, and knowing Jesus and incorporating his principles into our life, we will produce fruit that will remain. The big idea for today is this, as we talk about wisdom. I think that wisdom, according to James, he's trying to let us know that wisdom is different than knowledge. How I many know you can know something and not know what to do with it? That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And so James is going to talk to us about how to actually gain wisdom and then how to use it. So we're going to look at that, how we can use our words with wisdom, our love with wisdom, our faith with wisdom, and affect the world around us. Today, most of our readings are going to come from James chapter 3. We'll hit a few other scriptures. As you know here at Vintage Church, there's a lot of Bible. That's because God's word is way more important than my word. So we're going to get into some Bible today. But I do want to just consider James 3.13, this one verse, before we get into more of it. It says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? That was your opportunity to point at your spouse. If you missed it, you missed it. Who, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So here we see James is calling these early Jewish followers of Jesus not just to know something, but to do something with it. When you think about what is wisdom, here's a definition that I think we can work with today. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, the soundness of an action, so it's something you do, 
or a decision, something that you think, with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. If you heard last week as we talked about words, you, you heard me talk to you about how to think before you speak. And we actually use the word think as an acronym. And I'll run that back through because this applies to what we're talking about today. We said that before you speak on something, you should think. And the T, the T actually means that you should find out first, is it true? Is it true? The H, is it helpful? The I, is it inspiring? The N, is it necessary? And finally, K, is it kind? And as we walk through how to think before you speak, one of the things that we also discussed, especially as it relates to being helpful, inspiring, or necessary, is that it's not always a cut and dry, right or wrong decision. Usually it involves wisdom to know the answer to those questions that you ask. It's an issue of wisdom to know when to speak. In the same way, I want to suggest to you that you might be an expert, an actual expert, on a particular subject. But knowing how to apply what you already know is where wisdom comes in to play. Now, how many of you agree that wisdom is important? Wisdom is important. Okay. All right. Most of you, the rest of you will catch up shortly. Wisdom is important for all of us. We have to have wisdom in order to be and do who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do. But if we, we know that wisdom is important, we have to know where it starts, where it begins. And I think with that, Psalm 111 verse 10 gives us the answer, the starting point of wisdom when it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you were here with us through our series on mixed emotions, we had a whole message on fear. And in that message, one of the things we talked about is that all fear is not always bad. In fact, there's a lot of kind of fears that are necessary to save your life at different times. And I won't re-preach that message today, but I think we can all agree, not all fear is bad. And in that message, we talked about that the fear of the Lord is a fear that you want to have. Deuteronomy 5.29 says this, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. See, to have the fear of God doesn't simply mean that we're afraid of him. Although there is an element to that. When you realize that the God who made all things seen and unseen is paying attention to you, that should be a very affirming and simultaneously terrifying moment of truth. That God is paying attention to me. But the fear of God is not so much about being afraid of God because he is a loving father. The the fear is like, well, what you could do to me if you weren't good, but he is good. So then it provokes something else, I think, like an awe and wonder, a reverential trust and respect. And it's actually generated from our hearts as we begun to know God more than just what we know about him. So true fear of the Lord is not just a mental assent to God is big, God is great, and he can squish me like a bug. True fear of the Lord comes from our hearts after meeting and knowing him, and it bubbles up from inside of us as a reverence, an awe, a wonder. Psalm 19.9, David also said this about the fear of the Lord. He said, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. I love that. I love that the fear of the Lord is clean. It's eternal. Maybe you are in a mess today. 
Maybe your situation is a mess in your family or in your job. I want you to know that God has wisdom for you in that that is pure that is enduring, that is actually timely and for your situation. But gaining that starts first by seeing him rightly. Seeing God in his goodness, in his love, in his righteousness, in his mercy, in his supremacy, in his faithfulness. If we want wisdom, we have to start by first doing the wisest thing we could ever do. To pursue God, not just to know about him, but to know him well. And when we do that, it will produce inside of us a holy fear, a reverence. And from that place, from that heart disposition towards God, wisdom can and will grow in your life. So with that introduction and that background, I want to go back to James chapter 3 and let's read more from our passage today starting in verse 13. You can follow on the screen or your app or your Bible, uh, whatever you have, but let's read this together. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For there, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, say above, is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love what James is doing here because he's painting a little bit of a picture and he's contrasting true wisdom from false wisdom. And in that picture, he shows us of both their source, their posture, and ultimately their outcomes. I think it's actually fascinating to me in such a short passage how James could write so well and tie all this up for us. But how many know? The aim of the Bible is not just to fascinate you, though it probably does and should if you read it often. But the aim of the Bible is actually to transform you, to shape you, and to make you more like Jesus. That's our hope today, that as we get into his word, that it wouldn't just give you information or fascinate you with some literary tricks that James does there and painting cool pictures for us, but actually it would sink from your head to your heart, transform you, and shape you. If you're taking notes in your handout or on the app, hopefully you got that downloaded. We're going to jump in now and look at wisdom in motion. Or another way to say it is wisdom applied to a life of faith. Number one, number one, if you're writing this down, God's wisdom is above us. Write that down. God's wisdom is above us. The 17th verse says, but the wisdom that is from above. See, James is giving us a big clue here that true wisdom is not found by doing this. True wisdom is found by looking up, by yielding to the God of heaven. It's from above. It is from God. And then it's revealed and taught through his word and through the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And this is one of the reasons that when I, I sit down and talk with people who are facing difficult situations and are facing difficult decisions in their life, one of the questions I always ask is, well, what does the Bible say about this situation? Listen to me, I am not smart enough to figure out what to tell you to do in every situation that you have. The only wisdom I have is wisdom that comes from knowing the word of God, knowing the person of Jesus, and then letting the Holy Spirit guide in how we impart that to other people. And even though most of you in this room are smarter than me, you're not smart enough either. 
to live a life and to exude wisdom apart from the word of God, the person of Jesus, and the impartation from the Holy Spirit. When you don't go to scripture first and instead you seek out opinions of culture and what other people have to say, you open up your mind to an endless list of futile thinking. An endless list of futile thinking. This is one of the reasons I think that John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, he said this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen to me. There are many voices out there, seemingly endless voices, that will always tell you what you want to hear. You ever been in a situation where someone confronted you with something, and next thing you know, you're looking for the invisible army of agreeers with you to go back into that situation and say, well, 17 people think what I think. Who cares? You can line up 1,700 people that will think with you about something that is ungodly, that is wrong. There was a leader in the world many years ago named Hitler who convinced a big majority of his country to believe some despicable, horrible things. Just having a list of people who agree with you is actually pointless and can be dangerous because you can start to pile up the number of people and start to think, well, if they believe it, then it must be true. And this is why, this is why I think we always have to ask ourselves where wisdom can be found, and it is in God's Word. James also kind of hints to us that wisdom has a posture. Wisdom has a posture. I saw a few people sit up straight when I said that word. I'm just helping you out today. Posture, good posture. Yeah, that, that was good. I like that. A little back crack. It's cool. You crack your back in church. Wisdom has a posture. And I, I, I think we have to ask, well, then what is the posture of wisdom, right? Who wants to know what the posture of wisdom is? I'm glad you asked. All right. James 3.13 says this, let him show by good conduct excuse me, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James is telling us, here's how you spot wisdom. Wisdom is found in meekness and in humility. Here's the truth of the matter, and this is actually a hard truth, especially for us in an individualistic society. It's hard for us to recognize that biblical wisdom and pride are mutually exclusive. Wisdom is found in meekness and in humility. Listen, I've known a lot of smart people. I know a lot of smart people who think that they are wise. And they may, may be able to communicate some wise things because they're smart. So they can read wise things and then tell you wise things that they read. But because of pride, because some of these very wise and smart people are, are smart, they think that they're better than you or me, and, and they think that they're smarter than everyone around them, and therefore true wisdom eludes them. And this is a trap that all of us can fall into, especially if you're intelligent, especially if you're always one step ahead. Pride can rise up, and next thing you know, you're not actually giving true wisdom. You're just giving what you thought. You can lead people into damage by doing that. I think Jesus modeled the posture of wisdom for us throughout his earthly life. I love how Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let's read this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. People said, I'm not Jesus. That's why I didn't do it. That's what he said. Paul is saying, let this be in you, as it is in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our nature as humans is that we want to build a pyramid where we sit on the top and everyone else is underneath us. That's just human nature. That's how we strive. That's what we do. But Jesus turned this upside down and he said, I came to love others. He came to serve instead of to be served. He came not as the one telling everyone what to do, but in obedience to his father, constantly slipping, slipping away in prayer to only do what he saw the father doing. And he obeyed his father even unto death on the cross. Paul says this in conclusion in verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. God the Father honored the humility of Jesus. And I think this is why Peter also said in 1 Peter 5, 6, I told you it's a lot of Bible, it's okay, we'll put it on the screen for you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. This is the way that God works. We humble ourselves so that he can lift us up. Give you a few more thoughts on the posture of true wisdom. James 3, 17, getting back to our primary text today, says this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. As I read through that list, hopefully you're looking going, man, I wonder, are those in my life? Are those in my heart? Is that the fruit that I produce? Do I produce fruit of purity and peacefulness, of gentleness and a willingness to yield? Am I merciful and impartial? Do I live a life without hypocrisy? It's not easy to take on that kind of posture, is it? Almost sounds like we're being asked to be perfect. Talked about that last week. None of us will become perfect at all things, but there are some things that God calls us to perfect. Being kind to people, loving people, seeing them as Christ sees them. That's part of the call. Again, it's not easy to take that posture, but if we seek the wisdom that comes from above and we apply that in our lives, it will produce these things. We talk about this a lot. The issue is not so much with what I'm trying to produce, but who I'm trying to connect with, who I'm trying to please, the person of Jesus. Where is the source of my life? If it comes from God's word, if the seed that we plant in our heart comes from him, then what we produce will look like him. One of the things I believe that all followers of Christ are called to produce in their lives is peace. Is peace. We're called to be peace bringers. In fact, I would say that the outcome of applying godly wisdom to your life is that you become a peace bringer. You carry peace with you. Now, again, it's not easy. Listen, I'm trying to walk this out with all of you. But this is how we do it. People are looking for peace. How many know people are looking for peace everywhere? People in our culture are constantly trying to find peace. That's why people are on so many drugs. They're out there trying to see if they can find peace in a bottle or, or, or peace in something that they smoke or peace in a pill that they take. But how many know you can pop, your, you can pop a pill all the way into momentary peace, but when that pill runs out, the peace is gone, leaving you searching for more. But James tells us there's a true peace, a lasting peace, and it's a result of wisdom and the fruit of righteousness. Let's look at verse 18. 
Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, the ultimate yield of true wisdom is ongoing peace, not temporary peace. Not the peace that wears off, but a life that's marked by supernatural peace. That's the result of a peace that comes from above. So we've talked about that. We've talked about the wisdom that comes from above. Now let's look at the other side as James talks to us about the world's wisdom. And he shows us that the world's wisdom is actually below us. Verse 15, he says, this wisdom, referring to the world's wisdom, does not descend from above, but is earthly. It's sensual. It's demonic. Scripturally speaking and theologically speaking, these things are sometimes referred to as the three enemies of the soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The trifecta that is working against you as you try to become more like Jesus. Whereas true wisdom comes from heaven and is rooted in God's revealed word, false wisdom, the world's wisdom, comes from earthly philosophies, from our own fleshly desires, and yes, sometimes even from demonic or evil influences in our lives. And so we all need to be on watch about what our minds are being taught and influenced. Are you being more influenced by wild philosophies and ideologies and opinions of a world that runs contrary to Scripture, or are you being influenced by God's true revelation? I've watched this happen over the years, and by the way, it can even happen in church. It can happen in church because, listen, we live in a culture, so we want to reach that culture. But we have to be careful because sometimes in our desire to become culturally relevant, we can begin to affirm all the things that culture tells us we must affirm, and in, and in place of it, we release our grasp from the gospel, from the truth of the word of God. And we turn to philosophies and humanistic ideologies in the ways of the world instead of the word of God. Paul warns us about this very thing in Colossians chapter 2. In verse 8, he says this, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of who? Men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to the teachings of Christ. So if you'll pardon me in this one on 180 counseling session to ask you a very intrusive question for a moment. Where are you placing your trust? A little more intrusive. Who are you listening to? Who is informing the way you think? Who is giving you the principles that you have decided to live by? These are some pretty good questions to ask yourself. Where are the people that you're getting counsel from getting their counsel from? That's a good question you should ask. When somebody's giving you some advice, it starts to sound real good, and they're smiling like I am and nodding your head at you, and then you start smiling and nodding back. Go, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where'd you get that from? Did you come up with that? Who told you that? What book did you read? When you talk to a follower of Jesus... At some point, you should say, the book I read is the bestseller of all time. It's 66 of them. It's called the Bible. That's where it comes from. But unfortunately, most people out in the world that you will get your advice from are getting their advice from humanistic ideologies and philosophers. Maybe they're getting it from the media or from the latest protester. There's plenty of information that we can take in and don't forget. It's very easy to find someone to agree with you about what you want. But this is a good question to ask. Who told you that? Where did it come from? 
And then here's the next move. Sit back and listen. And wait and see if they end up in the word of God. Where did that come from? What book did you read? Who told you? Let's see. Does it come back to God's word? See what they say. And by the way, if you're unsure if what they're telling you comes from God's word, then get yourself back in God's word. And continue to study and to read and to take it in. This is how we grow and flex our muscles of discernment. By knowing both the person of Jesus and the revelation of scripture. All right, I'm going to stop because I could go on a rant about Bible study. Some of y'all who know me well, you sort of felt it coming like, oh, man, here we go. We'll do that one another time. But Proverbs 14, 12 says this. I think this is the nutshell way I would just sum up what James is trying to tell you. It says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. This is why we have to be careful because stuff that seems right will end up in death for us. Maybe death of a relationship, maybe death of sound mind, maybe death of your peace, or maybe even actual mortality. False wisdom is found in vain arguments people conjure up so they can justify their own actions, motives, desires, and intentions. And I know I'm just preaching to everybody on the outside because nobody in here ever does that. Y'all don't ever try to justify your actions or motives. I know, I've met you, you're all just like Jesus. Truth is, I do this. Sometimes I catch myself doing this. Why are you being so, why are you trying to defend? Maybe you should shut up and listen and pray a little bit more. You ever have to tell yourself that? Shut up, listen, pray. I won't tell you that. I'll say it nicer. But to me, I just say shut up, listen, and pray. Because sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to do that. Especially, especially if we're looking at something that seems right, but somehow it's disconnected from the word of God. We need to stop and look. And see, is there a biblical basis or foundation for the way that I'm thinking right now? If the answer is no, it's time to put that thinking on the shelf and get back into God's word. How about the posture of false wisdom? We talked about the posture of true wisdom. Now let's talk about the posture of false wisdom. Verse 14 says this. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. I think that's part of the posture of false wisdom. James is challenging this idea that we can be both wise and full of jealousy and selfishness all at the same time. He's saying that posture doesn't work. That's a crooked posture. You walk around like this, and people look at you funny, like y'all just looked at me, and about half the room did this when I did this. That was fun. I didn't expect that. That's good. Y'all are paying attention. But James is saying this, that you cannot be full of wisdom and then jealousy and selfishness all together. It doesn't work that way, church. There's a posture to it. So if you think you can, spoiler alert, you cannot. James, he's, he's watching people who are clamoring for position. He's watching people who are striving after things that won't last, striving after the wrong thing, striving after power, striving after stuff, striving after position. And he's watching believers become motivated by competition, by jealousy, by insecurity. And what he's saying is, hey, 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 this is not the way. This is the way of the world, and it will lead to death of some kind in your life. So he writes to him, and he tells him, true wisdom Looks different than what I'm seeing in y'all right now. So we study this. Sometimes true wisdom looks different than how you and me think about things. Here it is for us. Now, I'm not anti-competition. I like good sports, good competition. I grew up uh, part of my life in Birmingham, Alabama, so I'm an Alabama Crimson football fan. 
and we don't have a lot of good competition out there, so we just destroy most people we play. But whoop, A&M beat us last year. It's okay, cool, good for you guys. Gig them. There we go. I knew some thumbs were about to come up. I was there, actually, so I'm never going to another game again in person. That was the bad luck charm. I love a little competition in sports or maybe some competition in the workplace, man. I know a bunch of you guys are in sales, and, hey, competition is good. makes you go harder. makes you work harder. makes you makes you drive and grind and do what you need to do to be the best that you can be. But let me, let me help and set you free for a minute. You are not in competition with anybody else for your destiny. The only competition you have is with yourself and your own potential that God has put inside of you. So stop looking like this and start looking like this. Jesus, who have you called me to be? What have you called me to do? Look at his word and apply what you hear and what you read. When we do this, we can stop living lives full of insecurities and self-seeking desires and false wisdom, and we can start looking a little more like the person of Christ. In case you were wondering, there is an ultimate outcome for those who live in the posture of false wisdom. James concludes his discussion of false wisdom. He sums it up like this in verse 16. Again, for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion in every, say every, every evil thing are there. I've worked with a lot of people over the years, worked with myself the most because I need the most help of all. Um, but I've worked with a number of people over the years around issues, specific issues. I have this hang-up. I have that hang-up. I have this belief. I have this addiction. I have this desire. All of these different kinds of things. And, and, and while it is good sometimes to target the thing that is plaguing you, it can also be a little bit of a trap to just target the thing. Because what James is saying here is that if you live a life full of envy and self-seeking, there's going to be constant confusion in every evil thing. So you'll chase away the one just to replace it with two more. And sometimes as Christians, I think we can get hung up a little bit on, if I could just get this one thing right, and what you don't know is you get that one thing right, and then you look up and you've got three more things that you got wrong in the process of trying to get this one right. Because you're pursuing it the world's way. Whereas the pursuit of wisdom is to pursue the person of Jesus, is to pursue the knowledge that comes from the Bible, and is to pursue a relationship to walk with the Holy Spirit and invite him in to every decision and thought that you have. And then once you combine all of those things, you can begin to discern what is good, what is true, what is righteous, and you can apply that in a lot of different areas of your life. And no more is it just the one thing. It might be the seven things, but it's God's perspective on all seven of them. And you have the discernment to know what to do. One of the things I love about the church and about the family of God is that we have a spiritual family. So now I can come to my brother Andrew and he can say, hey, here's my seven. And I can say, bro, here's my seven too. Can you help me and I help you? And let's walk and try to take God's wisdom into all of them instead of just cherry picking. Well, when I get done with this one, then I'll get to that. That's not the way. That's symptom management. And that's not what God has called for each enough of us to do. That's not actually his best for you. James is saying this false wisdom, this worldly wisdom, this self-seeking, it's going to lead down a road to an unproductive, that's what I'm talking about. It's a little unproductive just to cherry pick when really the issue is your overall disposition towards the Lord, towards his word. He's saying it's unproductive. And it's going to leave you unfulfilled. And it can leave you in a dark place. He's trying to say it plain and simple. There's no place for pride for envy, for selfish ambition in the life of a Christian. And even more especially so, 
when it comes to trying to fulfill your destiny and who God has called you to be and what he's called you to do. There's a way to pursue him, and there's a way to not pursue him. And when you choose the path to not pursue him, you get something else. You get what you pursue. As we begin to close, that's not a preacher close. I'm going to close pretty quickly. But as Christians, as people trying to follow the will, the way, and the word of Jesus, I think we have to understand what God expects of us. And that's number three. I think God expects us to choose his wisdom. Choose his wisdom. Choose the wisdom that is from above. Choose the wisdom that Jesus demonstrated in his life. Do the things that he did. Say the things that he said. Believe the things that he taught. This is the way. And as you do, here's the promise. You're not just choosing what to believe. You're actually choosing life for yourself and for your family. How do I know that? Not because I'm so smart. Because the Bible told me. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. In verse 19, it says this. Today, everybody say today. Today I have given you the choice. Say choice. Between life and death. Between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. That's a little scary. God's calling all of heaven and earth to look at you and go, let's see what he depicts. Let's see what he decides. Oh, that you would choose life, he says. Oh, that you would choose life. So that what? So that you and your descendants might live. I think Jesus built on this in John 10.10 when he said the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them life, a rich and satisfying life. Life and life abundant. This is what God has for each and every one of us. But I have to tell you, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. We just read it. Deuteronomy. You choose life or death. You choose his way or your way. You choose the wisdom from above or the wisdom from below. Go ahead and bow your heads with me. I pray and close. God, I thank you that you have wisdom for us. I thank you, God, that you have purpose for us. I thank you that you have a right way of thinking for us. And I thank you that we don't have to walk around in aimless confusion, not knowing who to believe, not knowing what to do. Lord, you have given us through your word, through the down payment on our salvation, the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into all truth. You even said that you give gifts of discernment that even go beyond what's available to all of us. But there is a discernment that is available to each and every one of us. There is an access to truth that we all have. God, I'm so thankful to be alive today where I can read your word almost any time, any place, and in many different versions. We've never been so rich in all of history than we are now to be able to read your words to us every day. God, I pray that you would stir up a hunger and a desire in each person's heart who's here today for your word. Maybe there's people here today you've never read the word of God one time in your life outside of church. Maybe there's people here who read chapters upon chapters every single day. God, what I know is whether it's the person who never has or the person who's consumed much, there's something that you have for us in the midst of that. There is wisdom that you have that goes beyond just the knowledge. So Lord, I pray that you would stir a hunger and a thirst for your will, for your ways, for your spirit, for your guidance. 
Lord, I pray that we would not be satisfied with the ways of the world any longer. Lord, in the same way that if we're hungry and we eat a bag of chips, it fills us for a moment and we pay the price later. Lord, I pray that you would put a desire in us for good food, the good food that comes from the bread of life. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, maybe there's some of you today who are saying, I, I don't know if I've ever actually made that choice. Not just to say, yes, I believe in God, but yes, to following him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's a confession, that's a belief. And you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It goes on to say, for with the heart a person believes, and that results in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, and that results in salvation. It's your heart. It's your mind. It's your mouth. If you're here today, maybe today is the first time ever or the first time in a long time, you say, Pastor Nate, I want to choose life. I want to choose the way of Jesus. I've tried my way and it's not working. Every eye closed, please, in this place. I'm not trying to call anybody out or do anything crazy. I just want to know who I'm praying for. That's you today. I want to choose life. I want to choose Jesus in his word. Just slip your hand up and put it back down very quickly. It's long enough for me to see it. Tried it my way, it's not good enough. I want to do it his way now. Lord, I thank you for every person in this place today. I pray your word would come alive to us. Tomorrow, when we've had a sleep between what we just heard and the life we have to live, I pray that your word would not return void. It would be a wellspring of life that comes out of our hearts. And we would truly hunger and thirst after righteousness and choose life in you every time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.